Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our King and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Gospel lesson, Luke chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. We read these words again in the name of our Lord. The people stood watching. The rulers were ridiculing him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also made fun of him. Coming up to him, they offered him sour wine, saying, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription written above him, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? We are punished justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Amen, I tell you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. These are the words of our text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered in your presence to hear your word so that we would be strengthened in our faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit through your word then and reassure us that Jesus is our Savior and that when he comes in his kingdom, he will remember us and take us body and soul to be with him forever. We also pray that you would enable and empower us so that his word would reign in our daily lives. To these ends, sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In Christ Jesus, our coming King, dear fellow redeemed. This is without a doubt one of the most comforting texts in the whole Scripture, especially for someone facing death. That was what one of the commentators that I read this week in preparation for the sermon wrote. This is one of the most comforting Scriptures, especially for one facing death. It was that last part of that quote that really got me thinking. I can imagine how someone that had a terminal illness would treasure something like this. Or someone on death row where death is imminent. But I got thinking. Who is facing death? Is it just the terminally ill? 
or those condemned to die for their crimes? Can't you say that you too are facing death? Isn't that what everyone is facing? Yes, that is true. And that means this scripture, this text, should be one of the most comforting for you because it shows a king who remembers me. Sin rejects him. Faith clings to him. The king who remembers me. Luke records three different groups, sometimes an individual, speaking in a way that mocked Jesus in our text. The first group is the group of the rulers or the leaders of the people. And they said to Jesus, He saved others. Let him save himself if, if this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. He saved others. Let him save himself. The way that that is being used the leaders of the people weren't speaking with the word saved that we would use. When we speak of saved, we think forgiveness of sins. They did not attribute that to Jesus. The saving that they're speaking of here is more like helping. They still were viewing the Messiah as a temporal savior. And so they were looking at the miracles that Jesus did and saying he saved people, he helped people. Now let's see if he can help himself, if he is the chosen one of God. So their problem was that they were looking to Jesus only as a temporal king. Now we can do this very thing too. When we view Jesus as a solution to our temporal problems and only a solution to our temporal problems. So I'm sick. Lord Jesus, heal me. I don't have enough money. Lord Jesus, give it to me. My wife is a witch. Lord, please change her. My husband is lazy and unresponsive. Change him. My kids are driving me crazy. Give me a peaceful household. We're looking to Jesus as a temporal Savior. And that is a rejection of Him. That is a mockery of Jesus. To view him only as the bread king like the 5,000 did when he fed them. They chased after him, Jesus said, because their bellies were full. When we 
place petitions like that before Jesus and view him only as a temporal leader, we're taking our voice with the leaders that were at his cross. He saved others. He helped others. Let him help himself if he is the chosen one, the Christ. The next group that is presented are the soldiers themselves. Now, they may have been incited for a, a number of reasons. It could have been the leaders. It could have been what Pilate had been saying to the crowd, here is your king. It could have been the sign that was above Jesus' head on the cross. This is the king of the Jews. But for whatever reason, they joined in ridiculing Jesus. They were ridiculing him because of this claim of king. What type of a king would be hanging on a cross? Yeah, some type of powerful leader. You were easily arrested, accused, and now nailed to the cross. So their ridicule was directly over the kingship of Jesus. Their thought was, if you can't come down from the cross, you're no king at all. And so they rejected him. Now, how does Jesus reign? Jesus doesn't reign in an earthly kingdom. He reigns in a spiritual one. And he reigns through his word. And every time that we reject God's word, we are rejecting the kingship of Jesus. Jesus told the Jews who had believed in him, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To reject God's word is to reject Jesus himself. In his first epistle, John wrote this, this is how we know that we have known Him, that is Jesus, if we keep His commands. The one who says, I know Him, but does not keep His commands is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. If anyone keeps God's Word, the love of God is truly made complete in Him. This is how we know we are in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk in as Jesus walked. To reject God's word is to reject the kingship of Jesus. And Jesus wants to reign in every part of your life. So every time you tell a lie, you're rebelling against your king. Every time you watch what you should not, you rebel against your king. Every time you greedily chase after earthly wealth, you rebel against your king. Sin rejects him. 
the last person we see speaking of the enemies is the other criminal. Matthew and Mark tell us that both criminals at first ridicule Jesus. Here Luke focuses in on the one and says, or records him saying, aren't you the Christ? And the way he says this in Greek, he expects the affirmative answer, yes. So then he says, save yourself and us. Now, you could argue that this criminal is actually taking a personal approach to Jesus. Everyone else, the other two groups, were holding Jesus at a distance. He saved others. If you're the king, come down. Save yourself. But this criminal wants some definite personal benefit. It seems that he maybe was even wondering if Jesus really was the Christ. But in mockery, he says, save yourself and us. He ultimately rejected Jesus as the anointed one, the one chosen by God to bear the sins of the world. Because he rejected him, he loses the benefit of knowing Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13. He said, strive to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Once the master of the house gets up and shuts the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open for us. He will reply, tell you in reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me. All you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown outside. I don't know you or where you come from. They have to be the most terrifying words ever hear from Jesus. Sin rejects him. And sin earns those words of condemnation. Faith clings to Jesus. Luke then records amazing words. The words of the other criminal. As I said, Matthew and Mark record that at first he was ridiculing Jesus too. But while he was hanging on that cross, a radical transformation occurred. He went from unbelief to faith. We can wonder how this happened. 
how he went from ridiculing to trusting that Jesus was his own personal Savior. We can't get specific. But you have to imagine that facing death so closely could cause a person to be introspective. Looking back over how he had lived, realizing that he was hanging on the cross for the decisions that he had made, the actions that he had done, realizing that he soon was going to be standing in the judgment hall of God, would make a person think. Maybe Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Made him look at Jesus anew. Made him reconsider his relationship with God. We know from his rebuke of the other criminal that he acknowledged his sin. We are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. See, he knew that he was dying. Not because of the earthly crimes that he had committed in that sense. Because of the spiritual crimes he had committed. He had sinned against a righteous and holy God and he deserved to die. He knew it and he acknowledged it. But he also trusted that Jesus could save him from his sins. When he said, Jesus, remember me when, you, when in your kingdom you come. He was showing that he wasn't looking for a temporal savior. He wasn't looking for a savior today. He was actually looking towards judgment day. When Jesus' kingdom and his glory would be revealed to all people. When you come in your kingdom, remember me. Now it's also interesting that in our text, he is the only one that calls Jesus by his name. Jesus. He is expressing a personal relationship.